Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Donna Doobie, and Donna is from Rhode Island. She is a retired nurse who is now working in a nonprofit firm that's focusing on providing vaccinations to underserved populations. Welcome, Donna. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, I am so glad that you're here. Donna is someone that I have been watching for a long time in our intermittent fasting support groups, and Donna has had quite a transformation, and I'm really, really excited to get into that today with you. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I, uh, you saved my life, Jen, and anybody oh, well. who's listening to this that's thinking about starting on this journey, go for it, because this is life-changing. Well, I love hearing that. And what actually brought you to intermittent fasting? How did you find it? When did you find it? Tell us about that a little bit, some of your background, sure. backstory. 
So I went on a cruise in March of 2017. And after that, we went to dinner with some friends and someone snapped a photo, posted it on Facebook. And I looked at my picture and I was in, uh, I was horrified. My arms looked like a watermelon. I thought I can't be that big. I know it sounds cliche, but it was a life altering moment for me. So I got home and I started doing some research on diets and I had a Facebook prompt from Dr. Jason Fung and the obesity code popped up on my feed as well as Delay Don't Deny by Jen Stevens. So I purchased both books and I dove into the research and I knew immediately that that was exactly what I needed to do. I felt like your book was speaking directly to me. Honestly, it was one of the best written books I had ever read because it was so real and it was so believable. And I felt like you were talking to me from your own personal experiences. So I dove in in March of 2017 and I had a goal of losing 100 pounds in two years Well, I reached that 100-pound mark in one year. Wow, that is amazing. And I've now lost a total of 130 pounds. It's kind of humbling to say that because I was so large. I was 305 pounds when I started. And I'm saying that because I'm making peace with it. I always kept those numbers quiet. I was mortified. I was horrified. But you know what? It's real. And there are probably people listening that are over the 300 pound mark that are saying, gee, can I do this? You can do this because this is the best plan I have ever been on. Oh, I just love hearing that so much. And I do know there are people that feel just like you felt on day one, you know, helpless, over 300 pounds or or wherever they're starting, who feel like, gosh, I've tried everything and here I am. And people are embarrassed about their weight. I know I felt like that when I would see photos of myself too. Oh, the shame and the blame. Oh, yeah. You know, why am I a failure? I was walking six to seven miles a day. I was walking three times a day just to keep my weight from rising higher. I mean, think about that. Three times a day, four o'clock in the morning, I walked at lunch and then I walked in the evening. And you know what? You can't outrun your fork. Right. Despite what we think, exercise, great for cardiovascular health. But as far as, you know, outrunning your fork, not going to happen. You know, I want to pinpoint something you said a minute ago. You said you felt like such a failure. And, you know, you're in the healthcare industry. You're a very smart person. You understand how the body works. And you felt like a failure. I think that's important. I think we have a lot of people in that same boat who feel like, gosh, I'm smart. I understand how the body works. Why is this not working for me? When talking about, you know, traditional diets. But we've really been misled with the whole way to lose weight, haven't we? Well, the funny thing is my job before I retired was that I was in charge of programs for healthcare workers. We had 17,000 healthcare workers and my job was to sponsor programs to get them healthier. I mean, talk about conflictual. Here I am over 300 pounds telling people, here's your ticket for Weight Watchers. That's how I started walking because I wanted to lead by example. But it never helped me get a grip on my weight. And feeling like a failure was that I felt like, how hard could I try? Do I need to cut a limb off to lose some weight? 
nothing worked. I counted calories. I did Jenny Craig. I did Nutrisystem. I drank protein shakes. You know, we've all done the gamut. I'd lose weight like a rock star. But the minute I stopped, I gained it and more and more and more. Your book enlightened me that my problem was not my will. It was not that I was weak. I was not a failure and I was going to conquer this. And I followed your teachings. And boy, I mean, every single thing that you wrote about is the truth. Oh, that makes me very happy because, you know, I felt the same way. Weak, lack of willpower. It's got to be me. What's wrong with me? Yeah. You know, I look back even today. I have Facebook memories. Do you look back on Facebook memories when they pop up? Oh, my gosh. I want to hide behind a plant. Well, today's Facebook memory for me was from this date eight years ago. I was like, Tomorrow, I'm starting a low-carb diet. So today, today I ate all the sugar in the house. <laughs> right? You know, and I was right. like, tomorrow, though, I'm going to do this diet and I'm going to lose the weight forever. Uh-huh. And of course, I didn't. It was eight years ago. I did not lose the weight on low-carb eight years ago. But <laughs> I, Well, January 2nd is like post-traumatic stress for me. I think I would eat like a superstar all the holiday week. January 2nd was always going to be my start date. Right. And I would stock up on low-cal, low-fat everything. And by February 1st, I had had it with the deprivation. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long I lasted on this 2011 attempt into low-carb. Maybe it'll pop up uh. in my memories like three <laughs> days from now to be like, all right, I quit. That's terrible. I don't know. <laughs> but it really did make me feel like a failure. Absolutely. I'm drinking my Starbucks, by the way, Jen. I'm having my coffee with you today. Me too. (laughs) I'm having coffee right now. We're recording this in the morning, so I am still in my coffee time. So yeah, drinking it out of my favorite coffee cup. Got it. So you started right away. And what was it like in the early days for you? So I gave myself a goal of sticking with the program for one year. And I think that's important. There are a lot of people that think they're going to get results within a month. It's not a fast marathon diet. So I gave myself a full year and I started at 16.8. I was eating two meals and I realized quickly that I believe my metabolism or my BMR was so altered from my years and years of calorie counting that I needed more. What I didn't say is that I have struggled with weight since my teenage years and I have done every low-cal diet on the market. So I think my insulin resistance and my metabolism were really altered. So I gave myself a year to say I'm going to keep with it. After a month passed, I was 16.8, I was eating what I wanted I started incrementally dropping my window by 30 minutes a day until I got to 23.1. And for me, that gave me a little bit of an impact, but not what I needed. So I wasn't looking forward to restricting carbs, but I did. And all of a sudden, the weight fell off. And I know that not everybody listening or people who are on DDD restrict carbohydrates for me I spent my first year on a keto diet, which was 20 total grams of carbs a day. And for people who count carbs, that's not a lot. I weighed and measured things because even vegetables have hidden carbs and my weight fell off. So in that first year, by April of 2018, I had lost 100 pounds. I felt though that I wasn't yet my best self, so I continued on the losing track. 
in the past nine months, I've lost another 30 pounds. I have five pounds to go to not be considered overweight. Wow. Dang it, I'm getting there. You are. (laughs) You are going to get there. I know that you will. I want to talk about what you just said because it's important and I want to kind of unpack it for our listeners. We have a lot of confusion from people who think that the whole premise of delay, don't deny is that every person should just eat all foods and you don't need to be concerned at all about what you're eating ever. That's not really what it's about, but some people have that mistaken thought. So you found that you needed to restrict carbs for your body. And that was an important part of your journey. And so that's really the point of this is that every person has to figure out what works well for them. Right. When I lost my weight, I ate a lot of fast food. I don't eat a lot of it now because I no longer like it. But my body was able to release weight while I was not eating, you know, an ideal you know, meal composition, but you said, you talked about that you had been overweight since your teenage years and that you had a lot of insulin resistance and your metabolism was shot from all those years of dieting. So you needed to do more intensive measures to get the results that you needed. Right. And you know, as a nurse, I knew I was insulin resistant. Just, I mean, I had all the symptoms. I had fatigue. I was overweight for greater than 50 years. I had high blood pressure. My ankles would swell. I, you know, I was pre-diabetic in my blood work and I knew that I had a problem. The abdominal obesity, I think, is another important sign that exactly that people need to be aware of. If you've got a lot of your weight in your abdomen, around your belly, that's a sign right there. Right. And, you know, maybe some people listening don't really even know what insulin resistant is. You know, it, it's sort of like the delivery man's coming to the door with the glucose and nobody's home to let it get into the cells, right? Right. So I knew I had to take different measures than others. And that's why we shouldn't compare our plates to everyone else, because my healthy may not be your healthy. My body reacted well. But after the 12 month mark, honestly, I had had enough of keto. I wanted to eat bread. Thank you, Jen, for the artisan bread recipe. (laughs) Yay! Because I can't live without it. And I wanted to liberalize my diet. So just as you taught me, and you were right, my insulin resistance seems to have corrected. I have had no problem with carbs. I've titrated them, meaning I've tried one to see if I had any, you know, weight gain, and I didn't. And now I'm eating carbs. I don't eat processed carbs, but I eat lots of vegetables with carbs. I eat bread. I eat pasta occasionally. And I've had no resultant weight gain. So I think I corrected it. Yeah, I think so too. And that is just fabulous to hear. So everybody who's concerned, you know, that you think you're going to have to give up carbs for the rest of your life, you know, maybe not. I talk about this in the troubleshooting chapter of Delay Don't Deny that perhaps you need to do this for a while and then see what happens. And then like Donna did, I like the way you describe it as you titrated them back in slowly. You tried one at a time. You didn't just say, all right, I'm going to have all the carbs and then, you know, drive to McDonald's and, (laughs) you know. No, but guess what the first one I tried was? Come on, the artisan bread. Yay. Oh my gosh. For anybody who doesn't know what Donna's talking about there, if you go to (laughs) jenstevens.com, that's G-I-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S.com, I have a favorite things tab there. And one of my favorite things is this artisan bread in five minutes a day book. And I really wanted to get into baking bread at home, but I was intimidated by the process. So I went to an event with some friends and somebody there had brought some homemade bread. And she's like, oh, I use this method in this book and it's so easy. And I'm like, all right, sign me up. So I bought the book, like literally standing there on my phone. I bought it and it 
came to my house in two days and I have been baking homemade bread ever since. And it really is easy. The kids are loving it, which is great. Well, I'm so glad that you're enjoying bread again. And I really think that a lot of people who think they have problems with bread actually have problems with the kind of bread we buy in the store with all the additives and extra ingredients. And it's really not that people have problems with the bread exactly. It's that they have problems with all the junk that's Mm -hmm. in our bread. I got to tell you, this bread's not causing me any problems. (laughs) You know, I'm now grinding my own wheat. Wow. You know you're my idol, so I, I I don't know. I don't measure up there. But. When you're ready to start grinding your own wheat, let me know. I'm going to call you. Give me some tips. But I mean, it really is amazing. My family resisted the grinding the wheat for a while because it, the bread's a little different character. But yeah, I'm just so glad that you've been able to add them back. So did you find any carbs that have not worked well for your body? Yeah, I don't do well with rice and potatoes. And okay. I, I'm not a big rice lover, but I love potatoes. But I just, I don't feel well. And sweets, like you say in your books, I try them and they don't taste good. Like Mm -hmm. candies and cookies and things that I loved. I can't stand the taste of them. So my tastes have changed. I've become a full-fledged food snob. I've never been a big sweet eater. I'm a salty carb craver. And I could never met a cracker I don't like, but my tastes have changed. So Yeah, I'm the same way with crackers. Even though I like don't like a lot of things now that I used to like crackers, they still make the cut. <laughs> they do. I love the I crackers in like- a Starbucks. I'm happy. And some cheese. <laughs> I like the cheese on there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so. but I heard your Rebecca interview yesterday and I'm interested in pimento cheese. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really easy. You find a recipe and, and try it. It's good. I'm going to. We're, we're going to change the world. They're all going to be eating homemade bread and also pimento cheese. Pimento cheese. <laughs> so y'all Gin. really have not heard of that up there. No, I, okay. I did not know what it was. Honestly, I Googled it. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. But everybody that probably has seen pimento stuffed olives. Those are good. That red stuff that's in olives, everybody. That's what pimento is. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really good in cheese and it's got like a mayonnaise base. So. All right. Well, I'll send you some hogs. You probably don't know what that is. Are they clams? Yeah, they're big, big, bulky clams that we stuff with all sorts of good things. It's kind of a Rhode Island thing. <laughs> well, I'll have to do my New England tour and come up to New <laughs> England. I haven't been to New England since, gosh, 1989. I was up. Uh, I, spent, I spent a summer up there oh, in Vermont and in Massachusetts. I was in college. I was working for a company that sold Yellow Page ads nice. for university directories. So I spent time at University of Vermont and MIT and you know the Harvard Square area. And I awesome. really loved it. We went to Maine. I don't think I got to Rhode Island though. Well, you could have missed it at 60 square miles. I think I missed it. Yeah, I don't think I did. I think I missed it, but it's beautiful up there. Oh, thank you. So I want to go back to what you said a minute ago that you have found that rice and potatoes don't work well for your body. Right. And I think that's really important. And as we grow in this lifestyle, we learn to not feel, you know, like bad about that. Like we're not like sad that those foods don't work well for us. We just accept it. Is that kind of the way it is? You know what it is, Jen? This is This is peace with food. So for me, intermittent fasting has given me peace with food as well as just overall peace in general. So I'm fine with, if my body doesn't like a potato, there are plenty of other things that my body does well with. And I don't deprive myself of the things that really fuel my body well, but it's an adjustment. Yeah. You're used to getting the sandwich with the fries and those fries will make me feel I'm lethargic, I'm bloated. They're just not worth it. 
if I wanted them, I would eat them, but I don't want to be ill later. So, you know, I'm fine with it. I think that's a very important point. I have actually learned recently within the past few months, believe it or not, that my body doesn't do well with sugar. And I know that people are like, well, no one's body does well with sugar. But (laughs) I really had to figure out that, like, I always have had restless legs and I've struggled with them. Have you ever struggled with restless legs? I have. It's not a good feeling. But I remember having it like years ago before I did IF, I'd be sitting in a theater, you know, trying to watch a, a band performance. And I just couldn't sit still. My legs were just going, going, going. And now that I've done intermittent fasting for so long, I'm better connected to like cause and effect. So I had not had sugar for a while just because I hadn't been in the mood for it. And then I had some of my favorite ice cream and then boom, restless legs. I'm like, huh, huh, I think it's this sugar. And so then I've experimented with it. And sure enough, if I have too much sugar in my eating window, the restless legs come back. That's amazing. It really is. That's sort of like the titrating thing that I was doing with the carbs, you know, reintroduce them slowly to gauge how your body is going to react. And if we listen to our bodies, which I never did for 50 years, but now that I'm able to, I can hear those signals loud and clear. Yep. I haven't said to myself, I'm never going to have sugar again because that's not realistic. But I think about it before I have it and I'm like, all right, am I going to be willing to accept that I might have some restless legs after I eat this? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is, nah, I don't want (laughs) to feel like that. It's funny. What you just said is exactly my mindset. Somebody said to me, how did you get to lose 130 pounds? And I said, I pause. I think about what I want to eat. And if I want it, then I'm having it. But a lot of times it's not worth that hit of sugar or that lousy feeling from potatoes. And I'm able to now stop, pause, think about it. If I choose it, great, no guilt, no blame. But if I don't have it, I'm good with it. See, that's the most important thing. Embrace that it's a choice. When I choose to have that sugar that I know is not going to make me feel as well afterwards, I've chosen it, I embrace it, I accept it, and I don't feel guilty about it. There's no guilt in this lifestyle. I did before. I felt guilty every time I put something in my mouth, but not any longer. When you make it as a choice and you're in charge, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So I want to talk about something really exciting. And that is that you have just written a book. I have. And I would like to hear about your book and tell everyone about it, where they can find it, what it is, and tell us about it in general. Well, first of all, I can't thank you enough for your support. The name of the book is A Timekeeper's Guide to Weight Loss, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. It was just published two weeks ago. So it's still getting to its destinations It's not yet on Kindle or Nook, but it is on iBooks. And by the way, it might be by the time this airs, because this will air on the 24th of January. And it will probably be digitally, you know, sent to its destinations by then. Right. Just so everybody knows, it might be out there when you're hearing this. You'll just have to check and see. So go ahead. So it's a summary of my own delay, don't deny journey as a person who started over 300 pounds and has struggled with weight issues for over 50 years. The point of my writing the book was just to inspire that person who sees that scale go north of 300 and says, I can't do it. I'm not going to be successful. The journey is arduous. It's doable. It's something that you can conquer. And the reason I wrote the book was just to share my own struggles as well as my own delay, don't deny journey to ultimately get to success. That's wonderful. So in it, do you, I haven't read it yet because I haven't gotten my copy, but it's on the way. I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited about it. Do you talk about like, what advice do you give for people about like how to do intermittent fasting? Is that in there? It is. So I'm really big on setting goals. So I have a whole chapter about get it in your head. Why do you want to do this? And Jen, your blog post on mindset, I think I've read that a hundred times because it's really important to me, set a goal and then set yourself some mini goals. Because when you have to lose over 100 pounds, that main goal just seems overwhelming. So I tell readers, you know, set yourself 10 pound incremental goals and celebrate them and keep focusing on why you want to do this. I have a, a chapter on whether or not you should or should not restrict carbs and shared my own journey with my carb restrictions, but also said that I came out the other end, that I'm now able to eat liberally and you can correct your insulin resistance. And there's a lot of talk uh, among the people in the Facebook groups about should I tell or not tell others. So I dedicated a chapter in the book to that, you know, don't base your self-confidence on comments from others, but If you choose to tell people, here are some things that I have found that work. And mainly, I'm believing in tell the world. Let's change the world. Right, right. I think that's important, Donna. Sorry to interrupt, but we are so used to feeling like we're trying one thing after another. And like, I know I did. And so people are like, oh, well, there's Jen trying something crazy again. And so (laughs) we're embarrassed to admit we're trying one more thing. Yeah, yeah. 
I was embarrassed to tell people because they looked at me like, here she goes again, just like you said. Till I lost about 30 pounds and I had some traction with my own weight loss, I don't think people thought that this was going to be any different for me. Once I looked visibly that I had lost some weight, I told them all. And I basically, and they, people that know me, like I'm a real researcher. So, you know, I told them I've researched this up and down. This is sound stuff. And please don't criticize me. I really would welcome your support. I've never had anybody push me back and saying it like that. I think that's important, but I, I just want to get that out, that idea out there to people who feel the same way that, that you and I did, like, oh, well, there they go again, yeah. trying this crazy thing. It's not a crazy thing, and this is going to be the thing that works for you. Right. And even if it doesn't feel like it's working for the first month or two, I am confident that every single person can get healthier with intermittent fasting if they find their correct or best style, it has to be a combination of, are you doing an eating window? Or maybe you need to do alternate day fasting, an up and down day approach. Maybe you need to change what you're eating. Maybe your problems in your gut microbiome. But within the framework of intermittent fasting, I think there's a plan that will help everybody if they just are patient and look for it. That's right. And there was one part of my journey that I was very uncomfortable with, and I don't think we talk about it much, and it's sort of the flip side of obesity. So I've lived my whole life, I'm the large one in the crowd. It's where the social dynamic is. You know, I'm, I'm the heavy person. And now all of a sudden, I'm in the normal clothing size section, and I don't have the challenges with travel anymore. And honestly, it's intrusive because I'm not used to living in a normally sized body in a normally sized world. So I closed my book with a chapter on the flip side of obesity. How do you live life as a normally sized person in a healthy world when you may not have ever had that chance before? I got to tell you, it does change the social dynamic quite a bit. And I'm sure others have experienced it as well. I think that's very interesting. And I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, I, I got up to 210, which felt like a lot for my body, but it's 100 pounds less than, than your high weight. Right. And so as hard as it was for me to move through life in the 210-pound body, I can only imagine how that was magnified at a 305-pound body. You can't even imagine. Everything is stressful. Social situations are stressful. Going to a restaurant, will the chairs be comfortable? Will the booth squeeze my belly? I, I could go on and on. Luckily, I'm five foot ten, so I was able to hide it maybe better than most because I had so much height. But the social challenges of being that size and navigating the world are truly, they feel insurmountable. When you don't deal with those and you lose a person and you go through life, the world treats you differently. And I hate to say that because I don't judge others by the size of their bodies, but I certainly feel that the world treats me very differently. Well, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's sad. People tend to, they don't say it, but you can see it. You can feel it in the way that they look at you. They back away from you. They don't want to crowd your space. And when you're not carrying that weight, the world seems to welcome you with open arms. And it's actually very sad. And I think the whole thing goes back to the fact that people that have not ever struggled with their weight for whatever reason. You know, they their gut microbiome has always been healthy. They have a healthy metabolism. They've never over-restricted. They've just never struggled with their weight. We all know people like that. They do not understand that really those of us that have been obese, 
we really were trying, you know, so the world looks at, at us and our obese bodies and thinks, gosh, you're just not even trying. Right. But really, we're trying a hundred times harder than the people who don't have to worry about their weight. They just naturally go through life. And, you know, I remember my husband one time, we'd gone on a cruise and he's always been naturally slim. And after we got back, he just like, you know, ate a little less for a couple of days and he was right back to normal. And was like, why can't you just do this? Just eat less. And I'm like, sweetie, if it were that easy, right, we would all be doing that. We've tried and tried. And so we are falsely judged as being weak when really we have tried so hard. And well, that's it. I mean, my trying hard is the reason I struggle so much. There were years where I ate under a thousand calories a day because if my calorie quote unquote budget was to eat 1200, I was going to chop it a little bit so I could lose more. How stupid. I mean, I'm a nurse, for goodness sakes, but I was so determined to not live in this fat body. And what I was doing was actually making my journey much, much harder. But when you were eating a thousand calories a day for a year, every single person who believes that it's only about the calories would say one of two things. One, you're lying. You, you were not really restricting because obviously, you know, you, sh- you would be losing weight, right? Mm-hmm. They would say that or they, they would say that you're just, you weren't calculating them correctly because every person who ate under a thousand calories a day would lose weight. Right. Well, that's not true. <laughs> exactly. We know that's not true. But people don't believe dieters who claim that they really are eating that little amount of food. You know, when you interviewed Sherry Bullock, it resonated with me when she talked about her Weight Watchers days and how she was hiking and walking everywhere to maintain her weight status to remain a leader. Think, who do you know walks three times a day? I mean, I was like a crazy person. I would go to work. I would walk at lunch. I would walk to meetings. We had a large, large campus and walked everywhere. I would come home. We walked in five degrees. We walked in a hundred degrees. We walked six, seven, sometimes nine miles a day just to have me not gain. When I stopped that, because you can't maintain that level of exercise for the rest of your life. I got burnt out. Right. And eating a thousand calories a day without that rigorous exercise my metabolism was so shot. Um, It was like the biggest loser. I just gained. Yeah. So for all the people who think that it's just as simple as eat less, move more, it isn't. And and those of us who have tried so hard, our our bodies just fought back and and they really, really do. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, look at that person who weighs over 300 pounds that you see and realize they probably have tried harder than right than most of us. We missed the root cause of the problem. When you wrote your book, it was like the lightning bolt went off. The problem is not my willpower or my desire or drive. The problem is hormonal imbalance. And once I saw that, I knew you were talking to me. Oh, I'm so glad. So do you want to explain that to listeners? Because normally on this podcast, we just you know talk about the journey, but go into some of the, the hormonal parts of it. So because I had dieted for so many years, I truly was a person whose cells were not going to open up to receive that insulin. So I was resistant. My hormones needed to be reset and calorie counting was not making it better. Why is that? Because when I calorie counted, I grazed and I ate every two to three hours. So what did I do? I gave my pancreas more and more time to produce more and more insulin that just built up in my bloodstream, causing my blood sugars to go up, 
causing me to constantly feel fatigued, causing me to still have overweight problems like ankle swelling and blood pressure problems. When I realized that I needed to clean fast, and that's key, guys, clean fast, I gave my pancreas a rest. The insulin did not need to be produced all through the day to counteract my quote-unquote non-calorie snacks. Once I clean fasted for 23 hours a day, it was miraculous. I felt like a different person. In about five weeks, I knew that I was fat burning. I could taste the metal taste in my mouth. My energy was abundant. I started seeing things like skin tags on my body were disappearing. I had better sleep, no more GERD, which is esophageal reflux. My lipid panel at the doctor was stellar. My triglycerides were better. My glucose was better. My cholesterol was great. And I did not have hunger. It was curbed. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's the part that people don't believe. You know, at first you may have hunger, but then as, as your body becomes fat adapted, as you just described, the hunger really does dissipate. Jen, you know, but the others may not know, I'm an exercise fiend and I've exercised fat or thin. I've always worked out. But now 90 minutes a day for six days a week, I know it sounds excessive, but my body is used to it. The energy of a fasted workout is just phenomenal. That really is true. And I've just started with Pilates, which I love. I'm not a cardio person, right? but I love the the strong feeling that when I'm doing Pilates, it, right. and it's in the fasted state, and I just feel fabulous when Me doing too. it. Me too. I love it. Yep. So you mentioned that your skin tags fell off, which is cool because you probably know this already, but our listeners may not. I've done some reading recently. There was something that talked about skin tags being associated with insulin resistance. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually I saw the same thing. But there's something major. It's so, it's kind of gross. I wouldn't take a picture of it, but I had a hysterectomy when I was 31 years old. And that scar was at least one to two inches wide, thick, ropey, red, disgusting. Do you know what's gone? I showed my physician and he could not believe. It looks like somebody drew a pencil mark on my abdomen. It's just mind boggling. You know, people talk about this and it's it's just one of those things, you know, if, if I had written a book and said, your scars are going to disappear, people would be like, that's, that's just ridiculous. Well, and this scar, I mean, this was a major ugly looking and it's gone. And how long did you have that scar? Well, I'm at 30 years. You had it as a thick raised scar for 30 years and now it is I, like, I, I mean, you can't make this stuff. I'm no. telling you, I looked, I, I looked at my belly and I'm like, wait. Where's that scar? You know, it must have happened gradually. I wasn't really looking at it, but it truly looks like somebody drew a pencil on my belly. See, that's just amazing. And of course, we talk about this in the Facebook groups, but there's a process called autophagy that our bodies naturally can get into, especially it's, you know, it's increased when we get into the fasted state. Mm -hmm. And so our body's able to clean up like excess stuff. And people are finding scar tissue actually is getting cleaned up during the fast. I am living proof. <laughs> That's just amazing. Now, how is your, your skin? You know, we also talk about autophagy helping with skin tightening. You know, wow. we've all seen the TV shows where people have lost over 100 pounds and they have like folds of skin just hanging off yeah. like, like bags of skin. How's your skin? Well, it's not as good as I want it to be. It's kind of a humbling thing to say, but I figure when you take 130 pounds off your heart and your lungs, you know, I can live with some hanging droopy skin. 
So as I said, I've been abused for what, obese for 50 years. So my arms and legs have lots of loose skin. However, much, much improved. And luckily, my face and neck has sort of gotten rid of all those extra hanging. I call it my turkey neck. I've lost that, which I'm happy about. My arms and legs need some work, but I'm, I'm good with it. They're, they're my battle scars. So you know what? So I wear a shirt that has sleeves to my elbows. I can live with it. I'm, I'm good with it. And it's not quite hanging off like we see in some of those photos is the no. point I'm trying to make because your body is taking care of that over time. I would love to see the progression like one year from now and then another year from that. I predict it's going to get better and better, like that scar. I can see it now. My arms, I can see muscular definition because I lift weights, but I can definitely see tremendous improvement. And I have to say this, it almost sounds like the scar story. So I measured my belly when I started. So guys, if you don't have baseline measurements, they really helped me because sometimes the scale gets stuck and measurements really show improvement. I have lost 20 inches from my midsection. Oh my gosh. Like, wow. So no wonder the seatbelt has a surplus on the plane. I mean, that's just incredible. 20 inches is, I can, I can sit in the middle seat now, guys, and I don't crowd anybody. <laughs> I'm just still, my mind is blown. 20 inches is just amazing. So I know that feels so much better. So much better. That right there, that's the sign that your insulin resistance is, is correcting because that slim waist is the sign. Yeah. I've lost six sizes because I said I'm five foot ten, so I'll never be a size two or a four, but I'm wearing a 12 top today and I'm kind of happy about it. That's exciting. That's yeah. ex- and what was, what was your biggest size ever? So it's humiliating, but well, I Well, no, it started- is not because it's not because... Don't let it feel humiliating. Well, that's why I wrote a book. My right. story is, oh. but anyway, I was a 2630 and they were tight. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, that was a very humbling experience. It's funny though, when you write a book, you I'm safe in the Facebook support groups because we all are like-minded. When you go out into your real world and you tell people, I've lost 130 pounds, they look at you like, oh my gosh. Right. But it's important to share that it's not your fault, that there is hope and inspiration and face your problems and get through it. Exactly. And what you said a minute ago about feeling humiliated, it was hard for you to say that number, wasn't it? It was so hard. I did not start saying that number until recently. For anybody who, you know, talks back and forth with me in the Facebook groups, not until recently did I even share where I started. But the reality is... When you are north of 300 pounds, it's like a mental thing. You just feel like you're hopeless and you're defeated. But guys, you're not. This works. Don't look at the whole package. Look at little goals and 10 pounds turns into 20, 30, 50, 80. It's doable. Yeah, I think that's really important. And also just that it's not going to happen overnight. Well, that's it. My original goal was 100 pounds in two years because I did not want to rush this. I wanted to fuel my body properly. And I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to overdo this. And I think if you set reasonable goals, then you don't disappoint yourself. Well, you have smashed, (laughs) smashed that goal. I love it. I love it. And so I know that your body's going to continue to change over time and it's going to just surprise and delight you, I think. I hope so. Where you end up. It's really exciting. And just, you know, showing that you're not doomed 
even though you had been overweight for what you said, 50 years? Yeah. My wedding dress was a size 16. So I got married in 1979. And I think I had like three dresses to choose from because after that, it was the plus size section. I mean, think about that. So I was so ridiculous. I ate fish sticks and I think I counted four for a hundred calories, whatever it was. I mean, even then I was focused on losing weight. Then I became a nurse and, you know, we worked late at night and guess what we did to socialize? We, we ate, right? Charted on our patients and we ate fast food. And, you know, it was just, I struggled my entire life. I'm not one of those people who gained weight after pregnancy. I have struggled with obesity since my teenage years. So this feels darn good. (laughs) Oh, I know that it does. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So what do you wish that medical professionals, you know, nurses and doctors, what do you wish they understood about obesity? It's clear that many of them don't. Now, I'm not going to say all don't because there are so many doctors that are getting this now. And a lot of people coming to our groups because their doctors have pointed them towards intermittent fasting. We have doctors in our groups that are doing intermittent fasting. But for those who don't yet know about it, what do you wish they knew? You know, I wish they knew that there were alternatives to what they were taught. I worked with physicians my entire career and their nutritional training is really very limited. I just wish they were open-minded that people are researched and there are alternative ways to do things. And I just wish sometimes they would open their minds to the fact that what others have brought to them may be worth looking into. My own physician is the perfect example. He knew nothing about intermittent fasting. I brought him your book and I brought him the obesity code. I purchased them, I brought them to him. He's now telling other patients to go on the plans because he respected me enough to know that if I was telling him that I had looked into it, that there was something to it. So that's all I wish, that they would listen to their patients and be open-minded that there are alternative ways. And that what we've all heard, calories in, calories out, eat less, move more. Doesn't work. It doesn't. And so, you know, we read things where people now are like, uh, you know, you might as well not even try because it doesn't work. Right. You know, the eat less, move more, calories in, calories out, the traditional type right. of dieting. Right. 
you know, I've read over and over, and like after the Biggest Loser study came out, for example, a couple years ago, the tone of the news articles was, well, clearly it's just impossible to maintain weight loss, so you might as well just not even try. But that's not true. It's not true. And the thing that we don't often look at is that we have to disconnect our emotions from our food. For me, I have always thought that dieting was short-term, but now this is my lifestyle. So there are a lot of mental factors to overcome on the journey. You know, my excuse was always, I don't have time, so I have to get a pizza or I have to eat fast food or whatever. Now I focus my time on fresh produce and basically changing the way I eat so that it fuels me in a healthy way because it's the rest of my life. It's not a short term. And I think that is the key mindset shift right there. You know, it's the new year. We have new people coming into the groups who are just starting, but we also have people who have been off and on over time. You know, I see some names, people who have been around for, gosh, since the beginning, a couple of years, and they're like, I'm back, I'm back on track, I'm back on the wagon. And that really makes me sad because they still see it as something that you start and stop. Right. See, the reason that makes me sad is because I've been there. You know, I did that from 2009 to 2014. You know, that 2011 Facebook post where I was announcing that I was eating all the sugar because tomorrow I was going to be low carb. <laughs> I knew about intermittent fasting at that yeah. point. But I still felt like it was a something on off that you would try. It was just a strategy that you did a little bit and then you would go back to whatever. And so for all the people who keep starting and stopping, my wish for y'all into 2019 is, and beyond is that Get rid of that thought, that mindset of starting and stopping and just do it and commit to it as a lifestyle, then tweak it. Right. You might not lose a lot of weight at first. Right. Maybe six months from now, you still haven't lost a pound, but you probably haven't gained any and you're probably figuring out how you feel. Then you're ready to start tweaking, trying, you know, alternate daily fasting or, or seeing what food choices you're making. Mm -hmm. But you just can't start and stop and think of it as something, a wagon that you get back on. That's not what it is. Exactly. But you are so helpful to people. Guys, I don't know if you realize how much work and energy Jen puts into these Facebook groups. I mean, I've never met anybody who was so on top of the game to be with people, supporting people, you know, making sure the groups remain quality focused. And that is the game changer. Having somebody there to turn to and say, it's okay. You know, this is not a perfect process. We all slip. We all get back on track. I can't commend you enough for starting those groups, maintaining those groups. And I think you're really saving thousands and thousands of lives. Well, thank you for that, Donna. And honestly, the very best training in the entire world for running Facebook support groups is having been an elementary teacher <laughs> because... <laughs> I can find the bully in the crowd and I can, <laughs> you know, I know who's the class cut up and I know when somebody's joking and they think it's funny, but it really isn't, <laughs> you know, and everybody else gets real upset. And I'm like, no, that's Jay. They thought that was funny, <laughs> you know, because I've seen all those personality types and children and we're just all big children. Well, you're so good at it. And I'm telling you, we are just all of us. I know I speak for the crowd. We're so fortunate that you are a presence in those groups because it makes all the difference in the world. So thank you. Well, thank you. And here's what makes me really happy. We've grown. It's, it's the beginning of the year now. We have grown a thousand members in two days and we're growing very quickly. And we do not even accept everybody who tries to join. You know, we decline no, we members. Don't. <laughs> we don't. But the, one of the groups has grown a thousand members in two days, which is like the fastest growth ever. Yeah. 
And so I cannot physically answer every question or see every post or, or view every conversation. But what I am so happy to see is the group members that have been around know our culture. They know how to answer the questions. And so the group members step up. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm I'm the principal now. <laughs> you know, I'm the principal. And we have a whole lot of teachers in the group. And I can't be in every classroom at every time. But now the work is being done by everybody. And I'm wow. still there if there's a problem. But I, I can't physically be everywhere. Like the principal can't be in every classroom. But when you train the group well, which we have all done, you know, I, I started doing it and then the moderators and then also the other group members. When I see group members giving the same advice I would have given, right, that makes me smile because I'm like, all right, people are passing it on now. You know, like I don't have to carry the whole thing myself. It's because your integrity is so fantastic that we know that your teachings are spot on and we want to support you and the mission, which is to be helpful to others that, you know, maybe just starting their journey or struggling a little bit on the way. And let me tell you guys, we don't like posts on non-clean fast. That's right. That's right. Would you explain the clean fast for everybody? Because I know that some people are frequent listeners and in the Facebook groups, they've read my book and they know, but somebody may just be popping in and this is the first time they've heard that term. Could you explain it? Sure. So clean fast is a phrase that Jin coined. And basically during your fast, we have nothing with flavoring. So it's black coffee, plain black unflavored tea, water without flavoring or additives. The reason is because even if you look at something and it has calories, but low cal with flavorings, your body produces insulin because it senses something sweet coming your way. So fasting should not taste good. It's black coffee, plain tea, sparkling water. And there are some things in the gray area, which I won't get into. But if you look at Jin's uh, DDD site, her timeline picture has the clean fasting slide that's really informative. People who think they can slip in a teaspoon of cream into their coffee because it's low-cal, don't do it. It's, it's right. wrecking your fast. People really do think that's okay because some, you know, there, there's like a mistaken idea that we hear people say that, oh, if it's under 50 calories, it doesn't break the fast. And that that's just simply not true because our bodies know that we've just ingested something and it starts the process, even though it's just one little taste exactly. of the milk, whatever. You know, think about this, people. What is milk? What is cream? Well, it is food that is designed to grow a baby animal. Mm-hmm. It's the food we give to a creature when they are building their bodies at the biggest growth spurt of their lives, right? Right. (laughs) So why do we think that's okay to have during the fast? Well, it's not. And you know, as a neuroscientist, (laughs) I probably want to sneak this in, but there are a lot of people that take pills that they need to take those pills with food for the pill to be metabolized, all of that. Obviously, follow your medication protocol first and then fast as long as you can. But if you question your pills and you're not sure you need to take them with food, ask your local pharmacist. You may think you need to take something with food, but you may be able to adjust that pill to during your window. So yeah, that's a great point. And yes, for those of you that do have medications that do have to be taken with food, the key is just to find something that interrupts your fast the least. Right. Yeah. Something the higher in the fat, not sweet tasting, that sort of thing. So that's an excellent point. We are really almost out of time, which is always shocking to me. But (laughs) tell us again where everybody can find your book. We're not done with the conversation yet. But before we do, I want to make sure everyone knows where they can find your book, what it is, the name of it, and why they want to read it. 
So the name of the book is A Timekeeper's Guide to Weight Loss, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. And it's available in a paperback on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BookDepository.com, which seems to feed the UK, Australia, several other countries, Canada. And then digitally, it's available on Amazon Kindle, Barnes and Noble, Nook, and Apple iBooks. Perfect. And yes, the Book Depository is a fabulous site for international readers to find books. And my books used to be available on Book Depository, but I had a pirating incident that went on over the summer. Uh In case everybody's wondering why they can only get it on Amazon now, I had to turn off third-party distribution, which unfortunately meant it was no longer available through the Book Depository. But gosh, yeah. So hopefully my goal for the new year is to find a way to get my book out there in more hands. (laughs) Well, I won't belabor it, but I'm I'm learning a little bit about the behind the scenes of Amazon. They made a typo on my professional title. And uh, I think it's been three weeks of back and forth. They can't understand that RN is not large R, lowercase n. It's a big company. <laughs> you know. It is a big company. I have found with Amazon that it really has mattered to get to the right person. And that right. that can be the challenge. You know, once I got to the right person, you know, I had the whole pirating incident. Amazon really handled well when I now go back. Once I got to the right people, they were super helpful. But it's, it's hard to get past the gatekeepers <laughs> to get yeah. to the right people because it's such a big company. I mean, and they are, wow, they're dealing with I can't even imagine how many customer service calls they get every day, but getting to the right people made all the difference. But that's okay. IF gives me peace, so I'm good. Very reasonable. Peace and patience. Well, (laughs) as we wrap this up, you've given some great advice so far all along the way, but I like to end with, you know, what would you tell someone just starting out? Is there anything you wish you knew when you started? What is your best advice in a nutshell? So my best advice is believe and trust in Jin's teachings because they're accurate. Read and educate yourself as much as you can. And for me, the game changer has been the fellowship in the Facebook support groups. It matters. If you're shy, you can join the groups and just scroll through. You don't have to feel that you have to contribute, but the quality support system is very, very important to keeping on your game. The other thing is success starts in your mind. It doesn't start on your plate or at the gym. You got to get your mind into the right place. I would suggest reading Jin's blog post on mindset being key. And you have to have a goal in mind. Why do you want to do this? And then ultimately, what are your objectives? How are you going to get there? How do you measure your objectives? And if you don't push yourself, nobody else will. So... I like the patterns. You know, we're hardwired to do certain things with our patterns of food. I'm going to tell you that you can unwire those processes and rewire them to become much healthier. I love that one sentence you said, success starts in your mind, because I believe it. Absolutely. And so we'll we'll have a link to that mindset blog post from jenstevens.com in the show notes that you can find on intermittentfastingstories.com with this episode, with Donna's episode, episode 13. But I really want to echo what you said there and that your mindset is powerful. And if you tell yourself, well, I'm going to try this, but it probably won't work. Well, then it probably won't. You know, a goal is nothing without actions. It's just right. words on a page. So, But you also have to feel, I've talked about this book before on both podcasts, Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief. Mm-hmm. If you start it, but tell yourself this isn't going to work, that's powerful thinking. You're stopping yourself from having success. But if you tell yourself this is going to work and I'm right. going to make this work, that's powerful. 
So much. And it makes me sad when I see new members or newbies, as we call them, saying, I wish this works for me. I hope I can do this. And I always say, you will do this, right? You will make this happen. You have to change those verbs, right? You will make this happen if you put your mind into the right place. That's where it all begins. It all begins with your thoughts and what you believe you can do and then approaching it with a positive mindset every day. Absolute truth. Yep. And stop thinking about it as something that's fast. I will say one thing that was sad and a little funny, but also sad. But there was some news, well, not a news show, one of those like entertainment shows was on last night and they were talking about intermittent fasting, which is always great. But they said that it's what all the celebrities are doing and you can lose a pound a day. Oh, <laughs> no. Not in my journey. <laughs> not. But see, people hear that and they're like, why am I not losing a pound a day? They said uh, I was going to lose a pound a day. Well, well, Jen never said that, people. <laughs> you might not lose a pound your first month. I'm going to no, tell you the truth. I didn't. <laughs> you, might, you might gain three pounds your first month and then you're like, well, this doesn't work. Well, that's part of the process and you got to give your body time to adjust. You know, this is not the pound a day weight loss plan. <laughs> You know, people look at my before and after pictures and Lynn Houston the other day said to me, I didn't know you didn't lose weight for the first month. Surprise. Yeah. yeah you know, you, it's not an immediate weight loss plan. So stay the course, guys. Right. It works if you're patient. Well, Donna, I have enjoyed this so very much. Thank you for talking to me today. And I know that listeners are going to be so inspired by your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's very nice to talk to you. I appreciate it. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.